Campus Crusade for Christ, also known as Crew, continues to wrestle over divisions because of its controversial and very troubling mandatory gender and sexuality curriculum. We've got all the details on that today on this episode of Relatable, which is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. Go to GoodRanchers.com. Use code Allie at checkout. That's GoodRanchers.com. Code Allie. Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Thursday. Hope everyone is having a wonderful week. Go back and listen to yesterday's episode or watch it on YouTube if you haven't already. It was such a good Wellness Wednesday talking about hormones and how we can eat to optimize our hormone health in different times of the year, different times of our cycle as women. Very interesting conversation, probably more specifically for the related gals yesterday, but go listen to that. So many of you have told me that what she shared about birth control in particular, how it affects even who we are attracted to, that that just blew your mind and it helped you a lot. So go listen to, go watch that if you haven't already. We've got some other very interesting Wellness Wednesdays uh, coming up soon that I know you guys are going to enjoy. One more announcement before we get into it. Remember to subscribe, blazetv.com slash Allie. We've got lots of new content this year coming behind the paywall, and our first series is going to be debatable, where we debate some big subjects that you guys have been asking me to discuss, but I wanted to get the foremost experts on some of these topics, like Catholicism and Protestantism. So that's our first episode of Debatable that's going to come out March 4th. We've got Trent Horn. He's a Catholic apologist. We've got Dr. James White, who is a Protestant apologist, and both of them know so much about church history and the differences between Protestantism and Catholicism. You guys are going to learn so much from this two-hour conversation that is only available for Blaze subscribers. If you go to blazetv.com slash Allie, you can use my code Allie for $30 off your subscription. You'll have access to all kinds of content that is just for Blaze subscribers. Go to blazetv.com slash Allie and use code Allie for that. Um, All right, let's go ahead and get into it. I want to talk about crew and their sexuality curriculum. Crew Campus Crusade for Christ is an organization, a Christian organization that has been on campuses uh, across the country and has also um, launched evangelism efforts around the world now for decades. And they were recently um, caught sharing to their staff um, Uh, certain perspectives on gender and on sexuality that are not actually biblical. They are culturally popular, but they are not Christian in any sense. And we covered this after Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, whom we have had on this podcast, called out crew in a speech that she gave to Liberty University several weeks ago. That was a relatable episode 908. So you can go listen to that if you want to hear some of her talk and hear our analysis of it. Um, But on November 10th, she uh, said in front of this uh, 10,000-person audience at Liberty that organizations like Crew, people like Preston Sprinkle, are spreading a lie about homosexuality and about so-called gender identity that is deceiving young people in particular into thinking that there is some kind of extra biblical third way to approach the issue of gender and sexuality. And so we wanted to dive into it ourselves and to see what was actually specifically being taught to crew staff. We think that you have a right to know that if your kid is a part of crew, they're a college student or you know someone who is uh, working with crew, it's very important to know what is going on behind the scenes. And the curriculum that we cited in our previous episode was, um, or rather the the points made um, from crew that we cited in our last episode, they were from a curriculum that was only available to crew staffers. So some of you tried to look online and find it yourself, but we were able to gain access to this staff member 
only content and we got to see what was actually being taught to members of crew. And we will go into some of that today. And we have new developments now that are being reported about uh, what crew is actually doing in the way of gender and sexuality. So just to recap, in 2021, crew started developing its new sexuality training called Compassionate and Faithful to help equip staff to navigate challenges around the LGBTQ issues. Now, the other reason why this matters, this isn't just like a random tiny organization. This is a huge organization. They have a huge impact on the next generation of believers and how we approach these very important issues of the heart, mind, body, and soul. And so it's really important that we know uh, the kinds of perspectives that are influencing young people in the name of being compassionate and faithful Christians. Uh, Crew insists that it wants to meet the challenges that the LGBTQ issue brings while remaining faithful to the Bible, but some current and former Crew staff have questioned Crew's reliance on prominent Christian voices like Preston Sprinkle, who advocate for a biblical sexual ethic, which means sexual activity reserved for one man and one woman within marriage, but also support professing Christians using LGBTQ labels as long as they remain celibate. So this position is often referred to as side B, which over the past few years has emerged as an alternative to side A, which argues that Bible supports monogamous same-sex marriage only. Now, like I will say, just to give Preston Sprinkle some credit, he has been clear that the Bible only supports this kind of marriage. He will say that, and yet he does advocate for some things like so-called pronoun politeness in the name of evangelism and compassion that neither I nor someone like Rosaria Butterfield would ever support. And the Bible is pretty clear that bearing false witness to someone is a sin and that aiding and abetting someone's confusion and deception is not going to show them the cross of Christ. It's not going to show them the gospel. It's not going to ingratiate them in any way to Christianity because we are just affirming the thing that is actually harming them and killing them. So now more people are discussing this after Rosaria Butterfield called it out and after new details are now coming to light about what is really going on behind the scenes. An article in World Magazine is discussing these things. Uh, World Magazine is a Christian news outlet. I've written for them several times, a very trustworthy source. This article is by Mary Jackson, and it's titled, Crew Wrestles with Divisions Over Sexuality. The article highlights the story of Uriah and Marissa Mondell. They've served in various roles at Crew for the last 23 years. Uriah proposed during a crew mission trip. They adopted two of their five children from regions around the world where they served through crew. Um, And after completing a new sexuality uh, training program mandated by crew, Uriah voiced objections. His boss said that he was arguing over semantics. So when he raised his concerns and he said, hey, I don't think that this curriculum that we are being forced to learn from that's telling us how to deal with sexuality and gender out in the world. I just don't think it's biblical. Well, his boss at Cruz said, you're arguing over semantics, and if you can't let it go, you'll just need to find another job. Wow. So this person wanting to actually be faithful to scripture raised his concerns and said, hey, I'm not so sure that this curriculum is in alignment with scripture. And his boss said, okay, well, then you can leave. Wow. When Uriah told his supervisor that he couldn't support, quote unquote, pronoun hospitality, that's pronoun politeness, same thing, what I just described to you a couple minutes ago that people like Preston Sprinkle advocate for, the supervisor said he wasn't being winsome. Winsomeness has unfortunately become an idol of some evangelicals who think that by being nice enough that a dying world that hates God Uh, will finally come to an understanding of and belief in the gospel. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't ever be winsome and we shouldn't ever be kind and we shouldn't ever be persuasive and we shouldn't be effective communicators. I obviously believe all of those things are very true, but 
very often winsomeness um, does become an idol because it is placed on a higher pedestal than being obedient to God. So in the name of winsomeness, we have to lie to people, call a man she or a woman he. In the name of winsomeness, we have to not be very truthful about what God says super clearly about gender and sexuality. In the name of winsomeness, we basically have to publicly compromise even if we are privately obedient. That is this kind of idolatry of winsomeness that we are seeing growing in evangelicalism. And can it even be called evangelicalism if you are not evangelizing for the gospel? I'm not sure. Um, Watching Rosaria Butterfield's comments at Liberty University brought both sadness for the ministry they loved and relief because Rosaria's theological objections mirrored their own. So they felt, okay, I'm not alone. I'm, I'm not alone. Rosaria Butterfield, who has been very strong on this, has repented herself of believing in pronoun hospitality. She mirrored their concerns, so they felt validated in that. Um, so there's more on this that I want to get into in just a second, but let me pause. Let me tell you about our first sponsor for the day, and that is Holy Pals. Absolutely love this company. Holy Pals makes Christian pajamas where you can wrap your children in the Word of God. So cute. They have all kinds of Bible stories that they depict really creatively on their pajamas. So like David and Goliath or the story of Esther. They also have seasonal ones. So they'll have like a nativity scene for Chris. Christmas. Last year, they had the stone rolled away for Easter. Really, really cute stuff. And they also have the Bible passage that corresponds with these pictures on uh, a tag on, I believe it's the sleeve of these pajamas. So, so cute and just gives you a really fun opportunity to be able to talk to your kids about the Bible in a really sweet and creative way. And so this is a company that you want to support. You want to support their mission and you can feel really good about buying these pajamas because they're made from premium cotton. And of course, you can feel really good about sending your money to a Christian company that shares our values. If you go to holypals.com and use promo code Allie, you will get a discount, an exclusive discount on your order. Holypals.com, code Allie. This is not the first time that crew has been accused of departing from its original mission and kind of leaving the Bible behind in its approach to cultural issues. For example, in 2021, Crew closed its race ministry, I don't even like that terminology, the Lenses Institute, after a staff report revealed growing internal concern over the promotion of critical race theory. And we'll talk about that a little bit more later, but also that's why Bree, producer Bree, she used to work for Crew. That's part of why uh, she left staff because of this concern that this completely unbiblical worldview was driving this Christian organization's view of and approach to the issue of race, ethnic divide, and that is extremely troubling. Also, as we already noted in 2021, that's when Crew started developing this new sexuality training that Rosaria Butterfield called out several uh, several weeks ago, several months ago. Now, Mary Jackson interviewed Rosaria Butterfield for this article, and uh, Rosaria said that among other false teachings, Crew and Preston Sprinkle uh, basically assert that same-sex attraction is a sinless temptation unless you act on it, and that it's acceptable for Christians to call themselves gay as long as they are celibate, and people with same-sex attraction rarely, if ever, change, and sex and gender are different, so God doesn't mind if men live as women in vice Versa. Now, I'm sure that Preston Sprinkle would take issue, particularly with that last one. However, this is a very common mode of thinking within evangelicalism today. That same-sex attraction is not a sinful um, temptation in itself, and that it is not innately disordered. It's only sinful when you act on it, and that it's acceptable for Christians to call themselves gay as long as they are not actively sleeping with someone of the same sex. But here's the problem with that mentality. 
that desires are not cannot be innately sinful or they cannot be innately um, disordered. If we go to Romans 1, and this is one of the most clear uh, prohibitions of homosexuality in the Bible, starting in verse 26. Actually, you could really, there's a lot of places you could start. Uh, let's start. Yeah, let's start in verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, to dishonorable passions. So the passion itself is dishonorable. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. So yes, the passion itself, the desire itself is disordered. Now, does that mean that that person cannot be saved? Does that mean that that person cannot be sanctified? Does that mean that that person can never struggle with those temptations or with those feelings? Look, all of us throughout our lives until we go to glory are going to struggle with sinful temptations and with sinful feelings and the desire to do something that is wrong, that is against God's commands, that is against God's order. But that doesn't mean that those desires or temptations are neutral or good. And telling someone to identify as gay or transgender just because um, it's all right if they're celibate uh, is also not biblical. If we look at 1 Corinthians 6, 11, for example, um, let's see. Let me do a little bit more context than I was originally going to do. One of the most difficult parts of my job is to continue talking while I am also thinking about a particular scripture reference and looking it up on BibleGateway.com, which is what I was just trying to do. All right, let's start in uh, verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 6. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That is good, good news. Such were some of you. You no longer identify by your disordered passions. You no longer identify by your carnal desires. You are not a gay Christian. You are not a so-called trans Christian. You are a Christian if you have been saved by grace through faith, who is taking up their cross on a daily basis through the power of the Holy Spirit. We are resisting any disordered or sinful desires. We are given the grace, the mercy, the love to be able to do so, but we do not identify by that which God calls disordered, wrong, and even an abomination. 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed, the new has come. And actually, let me back up a little bit more. Verse 16 of 2 Corinthians 5, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. We regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is past. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Is that not better news than saying part of your identity is still stuck in the flesh, is still stuck in your temptation, is still stuck in your sin? How is that the gospel? How is that good news? The good news is, is that we are no longer a slave to our desires. They no longer define us. So, I mean, crew, unfortunately, has fallen into this trap that so many other churches, pastors, Christian organizations have fallen into, that compassion equals affirmation of sin, that in order to be empathetic, in order to be loving, we have to affirm even slightly, even partly someone's sin. 
to try to get them to finally one day see the good news of the gospel that comes to comes with repentance. But that's not what's going on here. What's going on here is that you are actually enabling someone to stay stuck in their past and to stay stuck in the enslavement of their sin. Remember what Romans 2 tells us, that it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. God's kindness doesn't lead us to the affirmation of sin. It's God, uh, God's kindness that leads us to repentance. So continuing in this uh, World Magazine uh, World Magazine article, uh, crew has not responded to Butterfield's allegations, even as it has taken steps behind the scenes to clarify its position and tweak its training materials in response. When contacted for an interview on this topic, Patrick Martin, crew's director of communications, told the reporter in an email that the organization would not participate in interviews on the topic. There are a number of issues surrounding sexuality and gender that we feel are best addressed uh, in the context of relationships. And so they're not willing to just be very clear and say, we believe that God's word is sufficient. We believe that God's word is good enough. I mean, that's a very clear statement. And I think a really good message would be, we believe that God's word is the most compassionate response that we can give to these very complicated and personal issues of sexuality and gender. And we are doing everything we can to ensure that every single form of every single bit of material and content and curriculum that we have, both public and um, privately for our staff, aligns with God's word. Uh, by withholding from an entire generation, Rosaria Butterfield says, the opportunity to repent and mortify a sin while it is still small, we have set them up to be clobbered by their sin when it is large. And of course, I agree with that commentary on some of the um, wavering stances that uh, crew apparently has on gender and sexuality. So I, I would just want to give you some specific examples of what's going on behind the scenes at crew. This is not hyperbole. I, I don't wish to take down Campus Crusade for Christ at all. I want them to be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. I want them to continue to do great work. I know that there are great people at crew. Crew is a huge organization. There are people there who love the Lord, who take his word seriously, who have a right and righteous view of gender and sexuality and all of these different topics. And so I don't want it to sound like I'm trying to indict an entire organization. I don't want it to sound like I'm just trying to tear them down. No, I want them to actually do the good work that God has called them to do. They cannot do that if they are not relying on God's word, because what it tells me about crew, some of the people there, some of the people in charge, is that they don't actually believe that God's word is compassionate enough, that they, like so many Christians have been deluded into thinking this, that they really have to let God off the hook, that God's word is a little bit too harsh. It's a little bit too black and white. It's a little bit too clear that we, oh, compassionate and wise and merciful Christians, we have to kind of do PR for God. So we have to soften it a little bit. We have to caveat it and nuance it beyond what the Bible actually says to make it more palatable to the world. As if we live in this unique time where all of a sudden God's inerrant word is insufficient, where all of a sudden the gospel is just a little bit too harsh, where all of a sudden uh, there is a unique distaste for a message of repentance. Look, people have always loved their sin. They have always loved to uh, follow their flesh. We all were that. Such were some of you. We were all at one point dead in our sin apart from Christ, as Ephesians 2 tells us. So we can all relate to that. No one likes to be told that what you're doing is wrong. And it's even, I think, more difficult when it comes to issues of gender and sexuality because it sounds like, it sounds like from their perspective, you're saying who you are are is wrong. Who you are, who you love, how you feel you genuinely are, that is wrong. And so actually Christians like uh, those in crew who are doing this are doing a disservice to those people by affirming that enslaving message that, yeah, this is who you are. This is your identity. Another great resource on this, in addition to Rosaria Butterfield, is Christopher Yuan. We've had him on a couple times, and he really has helped me think through this as I talk about this, the beauty and the freedom, the liberation that comes with 
separating someone's sexual feelings with their, from their identity. That is such a freeing detachment that the gospel gives us. And we place burdens and a heavy yoke on someone by actually encouraging the attachment of identity to sinful feelings. So that's where crew is getting it wrong. We'll get into to the specifics of what they're uh, telling their people in just a second. Let me pause. Let me tell you about our next sponsor for the day. Great, great podcast. I'm so excited to tell you about. And that is Practice Makes Parent. This is a new podcast by Focus on the Family. As you guys probably know, Focus on the Family has been in the business of helping married people, of helping parents uh, parent and be married in a godly and biblical way. My mom, I remember uh, going to school in the mornings when I was young, listening to Focus on the Family. It's been a part of our daily drives for decades now. Maybe that's true for you, or maybe you have no idea what Focus on the Family is. So you can take it from me. They're a trustworthy source, and their new podcast, Practice Makes Parent, is hosted by Rebecca St. James, the Australian-American Christian pop rock singer and actress. She's teaming up with Dr. Danny Huerta, the VP of Parenting and Youth at Focus on the Family, to bring you real, practical, and biblical advice. So this includes marriage advice, things like communication, intimacy, managing money, handling daily stress, but also practical parenting strategies to make sure that you are discipling your children, raising them well. So tune in to Practice Makes Parent every Wednesday on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting platform. That's Practice Makes Parent. So here are some highlights from the curriculum. This is via that World article and also some crew staff resources. Now, this is an internal document, but it has now been leaked, and I think rightfully so, by people who are concerned. And remember, like crew is sustained by donations. So the people who are donating to crew, they need to know what is being taught to the staff that they are paying for, and they should not be donating to an organization that is not teaching the Bible when it comes to these topics. So here's what it reads. Here are some of the guidelines. As followers of Christ, we want to navigate LGBT plus questions in a way that is compassionate toward people, our posture, and faithful to scripture, our position. That, of course, I agree with. And that's you know, how a lot of these uh, curricula typically start out by saying something that everyone agrees with. And then you just assume that everything thereafter is going to align with that statement. And you kind of start questioning yourself. Well, they said they want to stay faithful to scripture. They say they want to be compassionate to people. Maybe if I disagree with this, I'm not compassionate to people or I'm not faithful to scripture. And so it's very, um, it's effective. It's a an effective kind of rhetorical tactic, I think, to say we're saying faithful and compassionate because every Christian, of course, can agree with that. Um, so training addresses questions such as, what does it mean to follow Christ faithfully if I experience same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria? And is it possible to warmly invite people in the LGBT plus community to consider Christ while remaining faithful to the teaching of scripture on sexuality? Um, in one of the seven modules, there's a crew intern that is uh, that described breaking off a same-sex relationship as she took her obedience to God more seriously, emphasizing the need to create a space of vulnerability and humility. She said, equating same-sex attraction to sin and speaking judgmentally against those in the LGBT plus community doesn't prove conducive to sharing the gospel with non-believers, especially those who are in same-sex relationships. So what she's saying basically is that you cannot share the truth with someone who is same-sex attracted if you want to share the gospel with them. Equating same-sex attraction to sin, she's saying is wrong. And speaking judgmentally against those in the LGBT plus community by, I don't even like LGBT plus community. I try to do whatever I can not to use that language. I'm not saying I've been perfect on it, but that is secular language that doesn't really give us a clear indication or biblical indication of what we're really talking about because they're not a community. I think that actually makes it seem a lot more palatable and, again, more like innate part of their identity than what is actually true. Um, it's not conducive to sharing the gospel with non-believers. Now, here's what I'll say. I am I, I am not in favor of, if you see a gay person that doesn't know the Lord, 
I don't think that the first order of business is to tell them that homosexuality is a sin. That's not the highest priority because that person who is living an active homosexual lifestyle, the if they are um, the, who is not a believer, and obviously those two things go hand in hand, but uh, the most important thing, the most important thing is that they repent of their non-belief. That's the first order of business. The first order of business is that they their beliefs are disordered. Their first order of business is that uh, they do not believe in the gospel, and that needs to change. That is the highest priority. The highest priority is not that they become straight. The highest priority is not even that they renounce their homosexuality. We trust the power of the Holy Spirit, the truth of God's word is going to sanctify us of these sinful desires. But the most important thing, yes, in building a relationship with a non-believer is to share the gospel with them. That does include conversations about sin and holiness and repentance, absolutely. But we just have to make sure that we have our priorities in line. The most important thing is that that person believes that by grace, through faith, they must be made alive in Christ. So that I can understand. But what she is saying is that it is wrong ever to equate homosexual desire with sin. When again, as we already read in Romans 1, that is a dishonorable, sinful passion. And to say that it's not really actually puts a burden on someone. Here's what how Denny Burke comments on this belief, and I thought that this was really good. He's an author, professor of biblical studies at Boyce College. He said, the circumstances are going to dictate that you can't not have a position when a kid comes to you and says, I feel same-sex attraction. Um, he says, you're either going to tell him that his same-sex attraction is an expression of the sinful nature that by God's grace can be mortified, or you are going to tell him, which seems to be Cruz's position, that he doesn't need to be concerned about same-sex attraction or feel guilt over it, so long as it's not acted upon. I'm not sure that that is sustainable to tell a kid, yeah, this is who you are. This is how you were born. You can't change this about yourself. This is the one sin that God is not powerful enough to sanctify you of. And this sin is totally fine, or this uh, desire is totally fine, rather. It's completely neutral and then not expect them to follow that. That doesn't make sense. If the desire is not bad, then why would it be wrong for someone to pursue it? That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. That creates a lot of dissonance in a person. Again, I think that that idea that same-sex attraction is not sinful, but acting upon it is sinful. I actually think that creates a really heavy burden for people who struggle with this kind of attraction. Uh, this training also includes 13 videos from President Sprinkle, who was also singled out by Butterfield in her address at Liberty. He has written several books. Sprinkle has written several books on LGBTQ issues. He has a podcast called Theology in the Raw, runs the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender. Um, he has kind of been a proponent of this side B theology, as we explained earlier. In one Q&A session referenced in the crew material from his Digital Leaders Forum video, Sprinkle said he thinks someone can still be a Christian even if he or she holds to an affirming view of same-sex marriage. I would say being same-sex attracted while being a part of one's fallen nature is not a morally culpable sin that one needs to repent for. Gosh, that makes me sad. He added during a separate podcast uh, on November 27th. Wow. So I I'm wondering again, so what other desires do we not need to pray to be sanctified from? Do does that mean that pride, feelings of pride are not a sin? Feelings of self-sufficiency? Does that mean lust is not a sin? Like we see throughout Jesus's ministry, that was what he doubled down on while he was here, is saying it's not enough just to follow the law by the letter. It's not enough to just do these things. It's really about what goes on in the heart. So it's not enough, he said, not to commit adultery. You also can't have any lust in your heart. If you have lust in your heart, then you've committed adultery already, Jesus said. It's not enough, not just to. Uh, not murder someone. 
If you have anger in your heart towards someone, you have murdered him already. So it is actually the ministry of Jesus that takes the law and takes our behavior to another level by saying, no, it actually starts here. This is where repentance starts. That is where Jesus begins to free us from sin. It's not just about legalism. It's not just about our outward behavior. It starts with these desires that Jesus says, I want you to kill those sinful desires. I want you to be able to resist that temptation starting in the heart, starting in the mind. The God who created us, the God who sent his son to die for us because he loves us so much, he says that sin and disordered and dishonorable desires start in here. Yet we think that we can be more compassionate than God by saying, no, that's not a sin that you need to mortify. That's not a sin that you need to repent of. You would rather someone be enslaved to the sin inside their heart and mind than then be free of it through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what's being told here. This is a man-made gospel that is only going to lead people into more sadness and to more misery. And it's being done, of course, uh, in the name of love and compassion. Sprinkle and his center, along with the Revoice Conference, very problematic conference, have helped proliferate this side B theology, especially in non-denominational churches. And again, uh, they use LGBTQ labels such as gay Christian. And again, the reason why this is relevant is because Preston Sprinkle and a lot of his resources are relied upon in the crew curriculum that they are disseminating to their staff members. Um, Crew also allows leeway for staffers to use this label, quote unquote, gay Christian. The Compassionate and Faithful Curriculum presents two opposing viewpoints in one paper, Rachel Gilson. A former lesbian who is now married to a man and serves as director of theological development for Crew Northeast explains why she chooses the term same-sex attracted to describe her quote-unquote inner poles. And another, Greg Coles, an author and senior research fellow at Sprinkles Organization, describes why he refers the label gay to describe his experience even as he has chosen uh, celibacy. Again, I think scripture makes clear the verses that we've already referenced that we should not be identifying by our carnal, sinful, abominable desires, not just people who have temptation to be attracted to the same sex, but all of us. Um, They go on to say if somebody wants to identify as gay and that's a term that's helpful for them and it makes sense of their experience, then I'm okay with that. Preston Sprinkle says, um, I, it, Is that our standard? What makes sense to someone? What makes sense with their experience? What they say is helpful for them? Or do we identify how scripture tells us to identify once we have been, once we have died to our sin and taken up our cross and followed Christ? Again, what good news that we no longer have to identify by our sin or our sinful desires. That is such good news. All right, we've got some more um, on this, including about pronouns, pronoun politeness, and and things like that. And so we were actually able to get some access into the curriculum that is available to crew staffers to verify some of the commentary that we're seeing from people like Rosaria Butterfield, seeing reported in places like World Magazine. And so um, here is some more from Compassionate and Faithful. Navigating LGBTQ plus questions in ministry, cruise curriculum. Uh, let me just show you some screenshots here. We've got uh, this person that was interviewed. This is uh, from one story in the training series. If you notice what's called the lower thirds, uh, this is crew. This is crew labeling these people, giving them this label. So we have one person, um, they have her name, and then under it, it says trans. Gender. This person is wearing a cross necklace. This person is wearing um, cross earrings. And then you've got another person. And her lower third label says same-sex attracted cisgender female. So that's the part that I really, I, I am shocked that they are using that language. Cisgender. Do you know that that term cisgender was created by an autogynephilic uh, pervert? several decades ago. That is not language that any Christian needs 
to use, not only because of its foundation and where it actually comes from. I mean, that is part of queer theory, which is a demonic ideology that is anti-Christian in every sense, but also just without even knowing any of that, there's no such thing as cisgender. Christians know that. I mean, scientifically, that's true, but biblically, that's true. There's no such thing as cisgender. There's no such thing as transgender. That's a problem with these labelings as you are affirming these wrong ideas about gender. The Christian knows there are two categories that you can fall into, male or female. And no intersex, which are disorders, have nothing to do with transgenderism. They have nothing to do with gender at all. These are disorders that actually still affect either a male or a female. They have nothing to do with someone identifying as the opposite sex. It's a completely different conversation and category and a part of living in a fallen world that, yes, there are sometimes anomalies and disorders. They don't have anything to do with someone's stated identity. And so basically, Crew is affirming this idea that gender and sex are different that you can have a sex that you might have been born with, but that how you identify is your gender. And that could be the same as your sex. That could be different than your sex. If it's different than your sex, then you are transgender. If it's the same as your sex, then it's cisgender. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible is very clear. And actually, it was so important to God that it was in the creation account. And the very first chapter of the first book of the Bible, Genesis 1.27, God created them in his image, male and female, he created them. He could have just said he created people. He could have just said he created man, but he designated male and female. He created us with purpose and with intention. In his image, he created us male and female. Those are the only two categories that we have. Now, I know there's a debate. Is there such thing as gender? No, some people say there's no such thing as gender. It's only sex. Look, I'm okay with this term gender. If you look at the etymology of gender, it's not like it's was founded in queer theory or modern progressive speak. It's just that sex and gender are interchangeable. They're the same. This idea that you can identify as something other than what you biologically are That's wrong. That's completely unscientific. That's pseudo-religious Gnostic nonsense that has no place in Christian curriculum, has no place in the Christian worldview at all. If we stand for anything as Christians, we must stand for truth. We have to stand for clarity. We owe the world that. In a culture of chaos and confusion, the church must be a refuge of clarity and courage. And that starts with the language that we use. You know, the words that we use as Christians, they're so important. That's why we are an evangelistic faith. We're not like the Buddhists who prize silence. No, we are told in the Great Commission to go out and make disciples of all nations. We are an inherently uh, word-based evangelistic faith. Faith. So it matters the words that we use, the language that we use. We've been given the word of God as our guide. Jesus is the word made flesh that dwelt among us. It matters what words we use as Christians. We're not always going to get it right. It's not always going to be perfect, but our words should be in alignment with what God's word says. You don't need to be using things like cis gender. And even when I say, I, I very rarely, I'm so, I try to be so careful about this. I don't call someone transgender. I might say someone who calls themselves transgender or someone who is pretending to be the opposite sex or someone who thinks they're the opposite sex or someone who identifies as transgender. Um, but I'm very big on the scare quotes and the so-called and the quote unquote, because I just want to be very clear that these are not real concepts that are based in reality or based in the Bible. Okay. So that's part of that's part of the curriculum. Let me get into the rest of it, but let me go ahead and tell you about our next sponsor for the day before I do that. Um, and that is Grand Canyon University. This is actually the perfect time to introduce this to you because as you know, if you are a parent and you have a child who is considering college, you're probably a little bit worried about the things that they're going to be learning, the way they're going to be indoctrinated. And I really encourage us as parents, rather than just sending them to the college that we went to 
or our parents went to or the college that's close by or even the most academically rigorous college that they can get into, like the Ivy Leagues or something like that. We should also be looking at, okay, what worldview does the university represent? Are they going to get closer to Christ because of what they're being taught there? Or are they going to be pushed further away because of the nonsense that they're being indoctrinated with? At Grand Canyon University, you know that you are sending your child to a school that is going to teach them the word of God and is also going to be academically rigorous and prepare them for the world by encouraging things like critical thinking. As a private Christian university in Phoenix, Arizona, they believe, of course, the truth that we're endowed by our creator with our certain unalienable rights. They believe in equal opportunity. They believe um, in purpose and productivity and that God's order brings about human flourishing. And that is the lens uh, through which they are teaching their students. They have over 330 academic programs as of September 2023. And so the pursuit to serve others is part of what they do. And they would love for you and your child to come alongside them and do that. Find your purpose at Green Canyon University, private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Okay, so when it comes to same-sex attraction, uh, under the section regarding the fall, crew lists 15 different forms of sexual brokenness, including same-sex sexual relations, but does not include same-sex attraction. So somehow, I wish someone would like square that circle for me, somehow the desire is uh, okay, but the manifestation of that desire is not. I'm still just not totally sure how an apparently neutral, is there such thing as a neutral desire? Uh, A neutral desire, because they probably wouldn't say a good desire, but a neutral desire can somehow lead to, um, can be all of a sudden become sin uh, when it is actually acted upon. Uh, sexual brokenness takes many forms. They say pornography, sexual addiction, sexual objectification, sexual violence. I believe in all of that. They say prostitution, polyamory, adultery, premarital or casual sex, same-sex sexual relations, sexual neglect of a spouse or sexual apathy in marriage, and they go on and on. And here's what's interesting. You know what here? You know what they do here? They say lust and sexual fantasy. So sometimes sexual desires can be disordered. Sometimes it does start in the mind and the heart, apparently, and sometimes that is sinful. But not when it comes to same-sex attraction. So if someone is just um, attracted to, actively attracted to, or thinking about um, someone who is not their spouse, that is categorical categorized as lust, not just thinking that that person is pretty or something like that, but thinking about them in a sexual in a sexual way. That is considered lust and sinful, but another kind of feeling and desire that the Bible says is dishonorable and disordered apparently isn't. Um, so specifically about same-sex attraction, here's what Crew is saying. On the one hand, we must recognize that same-sex attraction is contrary to God's design for human sexuality. Okay, Uh, it represents the disordering of sexual desire in our fallen condition. Yes, and is neither morally neutral nor morally good. Okay. on the other hand, from a pastoral perspective, it is also important to distinguish the experience of same sex attraction from acting on it in thought, word or deed. Some of us have spent hundreds of hours praying for God to remove these attractions to no avail. And some of us have experienced such animosity from other Christians that it has felt like we were not welcome in God's family. Compassion must go hand in hand with theological clarity, which I don't even I don't disagree with that. Like, I don't disagree that there are many Christians who, or many people who have tried to pray away their homosexual desires and that that must feel very alienating and isolating. It must be difficult. And they probably have been mistreated in some way by people who profess to be Christians and, and that's wrong. And so I'm glad for them to say that that sexual desire is disordered, that it's not morally neutral or morally good. But at the same time, there is such reticence and avoidance in other parts of this curriculum for crew to say that it is actually sinful, 
And I think that they seem to contradict themselves throughout this curriculum by having someone like Preston Sprinkle say that, well, I'm not so sure that we can call that kind of attraction, that kind of orientation, that kind of desire sin, while also saying at the same time, well, it actually is disordered. So again, we're just adding to and compounding the confusion um, that the world is already um, is already given us. Bree, I don't know if you have anything to say about the apparent kind of contradictions that we're seeing here, that on the one hand, it does sound like they're trying to say, yeah, this is disordered, this is not good, but at the same time, we need to distinguish between the desire and the acting upon it. Yes, there is a difference in, in you know, thinking about something and then not actually doing it, resisting the temptation, so there is some good there, but at the same time, they've got someone like Preston Sprinkle saying, I'm not so sure if I can say that's a sin. Yeah. What confuses me, I think, is uh, where they draw the line, because later in this, it says dwelling on immoral sexual thoughts or acting on them is sin. But at one point, is it dwelling on them versus uh, they never make a distinction. There's never a line at which when does it become sin then if you're saying it's not sin to begin with. Um, And so it's just confusing, I think, overall, and which is not helpful for crew staff. Um, who clearly want some answers and clarity on issues like this because they're important. Um, and I think that's one of my biggest issues with this is this doesn't this doesn't help at all. It, it hurts a lot because it's confusing. Yeah. And I will. OK, I'll give the devil's advocate position here, like in defense of them, that maybe. Maybe it's hard for me to do this, but maybe they're saying, okay, someone who does not dwell on their desires, they're not lusting, they're not having fantasies about these kinds of relations, they're not acting on these relations, they are doing everything they can to sanctify themselves with the word of God, they are doing everything they can to be disciplined, but they just find that they think one sex is more attractive than the other, the same sex is more attractive uh, than the other sex. They don't want to feel that way, but they do feel that way, but they are committed to aligning themselves with God's word. I can understand that. I still think it's wrong to say that the attraction itself is not disordered. Um, because again, I think that helps someone identify as something that is disordered. It helps them say, well, that is neutral. That's fine. That's okay. When really we do need to recognize it as something that is wrong. But I can understand, I don't know if you agree, Bree, and can give your opinion if you want to, but I can understand that, that, and I don't think they're making it clear. I think I'm kind of like letting them off the hook a little bit. They're trying to say someone might be naturally drawn to the same sex, but they truly are doing everything to submit every thought and desire that they have to the obedience of Christ. They just happen to be drawn to the same sex over the other that person they're trying to say is not necessarily in sin because of that. Maybe that's what they're trying to say. I think giving them the benefit of the doubt, that would be exactly what they're trying to say. I think they're doing a terrible job at it, like you said, though. Yeah. Yeah. And again, using the language of like the secular left of cisgender, transgender, gay, Christian, that's where the contradiction comes. Like, is it sin that we have to die to or not? That's that's really what it comes down to. I can appreciate nuance where it's needed and obviously compassion and a pastoral lens and building relationships and having those conversations, but it has to be always through the lens of truth and wanting this person to be free of their sin and yes, sinful desires. I do think that we can say, look, like the Christian life is a grace-filled struggle against sin. But I just don't want us to minimize the importance of dying to our sin, no matter how I innate and tied to our identity they may feel. Um, okay, so they talk about also uh, preferred names, preferred pronouns, and they give a variety of positions. Again, um, they say position one that we should is that we should never use preferred names or pronouns in evangelism. Um, I definitely feel that way about pronouns. 
that we should never call a man she or a woman he, not to be purposely offensive, but because we believe that God is good and God created them purposely a particular way. I don't feel as strongly about names, although I have kind of um, become less lenient on that in recent years as people I've seen people make the good point. Well, you know that a man is not called Caitlin. And so it is also kind of lying. But I don't know. There's I, I think that there actually could be some discussion on that. I've think I've heard John Piper make that position that, yeah, you might be able to call someone by their name because that's arbitrary. Or you could say that it's arbitrary, but the pronouns are not. The pronouns are linked to a biological reality. Um, so then they say there's position two, that we should never use, okay, what I just explained, we should never use preferred pronouns. It may be acceptable to use someone's preferred name. Position three, use of preferred pronouns is acceptable, but not required. In evangelism, they say proponents of this position take seriously the reality that a person's experience of being welcomed and respected is an important aspect of sharing the gospel with them effectively. This position seeks to meet the lost right where they are. <laughs> Tell me how you really feel, crew. Uh, just as when each of us encountered Christ, but Christ didn't say, I'm going to meet you right where you are and affirm your sin. I'm going to meet you right where you are. And you know what, Matthew? Yeah, you, 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 did, you should have. You should have taken too many, too much money from those people as a tax collector. I totally get why you do that. Let me just validate your greed a little bit, Matthew. That's not what he did. He called Matthew to repentance. He called his disciples to repentance, and they immediately turned from the sinful things that they were doing and uh, began to live for Christ. That's the power of the gospel. That's what he can do. So we don't need to affirm the very sin that is killing someone and could be leading them down a path of bodily mutilation in order to ingratiate them to Christ. And then position, let's see, I thought that was position four. Okay, no, position four is we should always use preferred pronouns in evangelism. Um, they say, they claim that in like this is a valid position that can be held by sincere Christians, that we should always use preferred pronouns in evangelism. So they're not like saying one is right, one is wrong. They're saying that these are totally fine. If you want to always use preferred pronouns, if you want to always call a man she for the purpose of evangelism, that you can do that. Um, this position says it's always loving and appropriate to use someone's preferred pronouns. A challenge of using someone's preferred pronouns or name is that you may unintentionally communicate a position that crew does not hold and scripture does not teach, which would be that it's fine to identify as the opposite sex. Crew doesn't believe that it's just fine to identify as the opposite sex, to be fair. A challenge of not using someone's preferred name or pronouns is that this may put a barrier between you and them, offending them and limiting your ability to gain a relationship or share Christ. Um, look, I do think that it can be offensive, understandably so. Um, but like I can tell you from experience, I can tell you from personal experience that speaking the truth in love, both of those things are important. Both of those things must be there, can absolutely change someone's heart and mind. I think about sweet Daisy Strongin. We just talked about her recently, who sat on this couch and told us that God used this podcast to help change her mind on transgenderism. And you know, we don't mince words when it comes to that. And I'm not saying everyone has to speak exactly like I do um, on the subject, but I do think that we owe image bearers of God truth and that God absolutely uses his word and uses the truth to change hearts and minds. And that I think affirming someone's deception is, um, again, it's just placing a greater burden on them. And so basically this kind of reminds me of, you know, like when you get on a plane nowadays, how they say like masks are not required, but whether you choose to wear a mask or not be respectful of your neighbor's choices it reminds it kind of reminds me of that that's basically what crew is doing here that if you want to lie to someone and use their preferred pronouns in the name of evangelism that's fine if you don't that's fine too the bible really doesn't afford us those options though as rosaria butterfield has so clearly laid out for us as she has repented publicly she used to believe in pronoun politeness too 
she used to be of that mind. And she realized that she um, was basically believing that the gospel wasn't good enough. And far be it from us to believe that. Um, Also, uh, an internal document that previously said that using someone's preferred name and pronouns is an issue of conscience now lists four positions on the preferred pronoun. So things have changed after Rosaria Butterfield's address. In response to the updates, Butterfield noted that the organization's quiet change in tone and tune, but that the changes stopped short of calling same-sex attraction sin. And if you don't know who Dr. Rosaria Butterfield is, like she lived as a lesbian in a committed relationship uh, for years of her life. She was a professor of queer theory before she became a Christian. And she became a Christian. And of course, she renounced her unbelief in Christ. And then he sanctified her into letting go of that relationship that she knew was not of God and didn't align with his word. And now she is such a powerful voice for the gospel, such a powerful voice for hospitality, of speaking the truth in love. And I'm just so thankful for her courage on this. And so I trust her. I trust her. I trust her. I trust Christopher Yuan. I trust Beckett Cook, all of these people who once were in this category of sexual immorality when it came to homosexual relations who are so clear on what God's word says, not just about same-sex behavior, but also the desire underneath it. And I just want to remind you that God absolutely can save anyone, that no one is too far off. No one has too uh, strong of desires. No one has too innate of an orientation or too fixed of an identity for God to save them through the power of Christ. That that gospel is available to you. It doesn't matter what you've been through, what's been done to you, or what you have done. God can absolutely save you. And that is good news. And he can rid you of the burden of your sin because Jesus' burden is light and his yoke is easy. And that is the message that we need to be preaching to lost people of all different kinds of stated identities um, and desires. Um, Okay, I'm going to get some of Bree's commentary on this in just a second uh, as someone who worked for Crew for a long time, and then we'll close this out. Let me go ahead and tell you about our last sponsor for the day, and that is Pre. Born. So Preborn is a network of clinics. They are saving the lives of babies inside the womb by offering free resources to moms in need, as well as offering them free sonograms. They are saving thousands of babies every year through these resources. Uh, for just $28, uh, you can cover the cost of a sonogram for a woman who is pregnant. Once a woman sees that baby inside the womb, they hear that beating heart, they are so much more likely to give that baby a shot at life and praise God for that. And so if you want to be a part of that, if you want to literally save lives, then you can donate. Donate $28 or whatever you can donate to preborn.com. Go to preborn.com slash Allie, preborn.com slash Allie. All right, Bree. So you kind of saw when you left crew, uh, the organization going in what seems like a leftward secular perspective, in particular when it came to race, right? Yeah. Yeah, I was overseas, so I wasn't quite as involved in, well, I didn't know what was happening. And that is one issue with crew is a lot of this is seeping in and a lot of staff don't even know it. I posted this world article on my Instagram and I had crew staff sending me messages like, thank you for posting this. I didn't know this was happening. Wow. Um, Which is sad because only the U.S. staff are required to do this sexuality curriculum, Mm. as far as I know. Mm. Um, I wouldn't have been overseas. um, So you just wouldn't know that it was happening at all. Um, But CRT has been a big thing that's been seeping in to crew. It still is, I believe, even though they've walked it back a little bit due to So basically the belief that white people are on the side of the privileged and that black and brown people are on the side of the oppressed and the marginalized always. Yeah, they had a uh, curriculum or I'm not sure exactly what it was, a class called the Lenses Institute that they've now shut down. But it cited White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo. It cited Ibram X. Kendi. Mm. Um, that was part of that curriculum. And it was meant to teach white people or the majority how to do evangelism in communities of color. So and that's just 
sort of a posture that Crew has adopted. I've seen it at Crew conferences where they invite certain speakers that will perpetuate some of these things. Um, and also just uh, them getting in trouble over and over again with staff coming to them and saying, we don't want this as part of Crew. Um, sometimes they listen, but most of the time they don't. So, and that's what I saw on staff as well. Just, it was perpetually staff asking for reasoning as to why this was being, uh, put into crew curriculums and no one responding. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So you said that a lot of people were kind of opposing this. Mm -hmm. Uh, In November 2020, a grassroots group of crew staff members submitted a 176-page document to crew president Steve Sellers titled Seeking Clarity and Unity, Raising Concerns that a Victim-Oppressor Worldview Had Become Embedded Throughout the Organization, Dividing Staff and Detracting from the True Gospel. And I just want to say... Good job to the staff members raising a respectful ruckus about this. Yeah. From the document, uh, in pursuing diversity, we have inadvertently adopted a system of unbiblical ideas that have led us to disunity. These concepts have created distrust, discouragement, and a host of other problems. Uh, This is an anti-CRT document that says at least 1,000 staff share the group's concerns and features dozens of staff and donor testimonials, though a majority of them are anonymous. According to Christianity Today, since 2015, the ministry has placed a growing emphasis on cultural competency and racial reconciliation. Of course, cultural competency, this is another euphemism that's used, that is one thing understanding that their cultures are different and that peoples are different. People are different. Um, And different communities are different. Some different ethnicities are different in some way. And so understanding the context, but not just when it comes to race, socioeconomic class, the states that people live in, the countries that people live in. Okay. That's one thing. But telling white people basically, which is what white fragility and Ibram X Kendi do is that you have to come from a place of basically inferiority in order to reach people and understand your innate privilege and your basically oppressor status and that all these people are marginalized. Again, that is detached from reality. That's just not true that all white people are privileged and on the side of the oppressor and all black and brown people are on the other side. It's also just not a biblically accurate way to look at people. It's just not a biblically accurate way to look at people's melanin count, to look at people of different cultures that will not bring unity. So-called racial reconciliation, I think, has a faulty premise. We don't have we don't have time to get into all of this, but I've talked about it many, many times. As you said, Bree, they encouraged people to read White Fragility, How to Be Anti-Racist, Reconstructing the Gospel by Jonathan Will- Wilson Hargrove. I'm not familiar with that. The Color of Compromise by Jamar Tisby, The Heart of Whiteness by Robert Jensen, How the Irish Became White. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I mean, that is just left-wing, secular, anti-biblical nonsense. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, just some commentary. Aaron McIntyre, he's a fellow Blaze host. He said, people who love to criticize the church for not standing up strongly enough against or even being complicit in some of the most terrible regimes in history have very little to say about it adopting the latest trends of our current totalitarian state. So true. So, so true. Such a good point. I mean, that's basically what a lot of these books are about, is that the church didn't stand up enough against things like segregation and uh, didn't stand up enough against slavery, which, by the way, many, many Many Christians did stand up against uh, those kinds of injustices, but they talk about that, but they don't talk about how Christians today fail to stand up to the regime that is literally mutilating children's bodies in and outside of the womb. So that's interesting. Um, all right. I, I think that's all we have time to cover. I wanted to get into uh, a bunch of the IVF stuff, uh, politicians like Nikki Haley, Carrie Lake, Donald Trump. Uh, RFK Jr. all saying, oh my goodness, the Alabama ruling is so terrible because it says embryos are human beings and therefore have a right not to be murdered. What does this mean for IVF? Oh wait, why would this have an effect on IVF when it's just saying that we can't destroy embryos? Hmm. Well, you can go back and listen to last week's episode on the Alabama ruling. We obviously don't have time today to get caught up on all of that, but We will be back here on Monday. Thanks so much for listening.